This season of Good Morning is brought to you by Picaluna Beautiful Funerals, who are changing funerals for the better by tailoring them to you. Whether you are caring for someone at the end of their life or planning for the future, Picaluna is all about helping you say goodbye in the best possible way. Start having the conversation today. Listening to Good Morning, the podcast talking all things grief with honesty and humour. Welcome back to the Good Morning podcast. If you are new around here, we are your hosts, Sal and Im, and we are back for a brand new season of Good Morning. And Sal, we have an exciting lineup of guests this season, don't we? We have an absolutely cracking lineup of guests for you guys this season we've got a sleep expert we're going to be exploring the grieving brain grief dreams we're going to look at grief at work all the big topics that we know impact you guys we've got some incredible guests lots of great convos so it's great to be back isn't it Im? it is it's actually been like three months i think so i was gonna say i hope you guys are doing all okay after christmas but it's been a wee while now since um, Christmas, so I'm just going to say I hope you guys are doing okay. Hope you had a good shitmas. <laughs> also, can we just talk about how far we've actually come since the early days of this podcast, recording on your bed? It was like a bedside table we were recording on in your bedroom, weren't we? And now we are in a jazzy new studio. We are. We are recording this from the media joint in Alexandria and it is so lovely, so, so um, posh. We've got a proper studio set up with our logo in the background and it is a far cry from the days when we first started the pod and it was a tiny desk in my bedroom and we used to literally set everything up, didn't we? We had our like boom sticks with the mics on and we'd literally huddle over over the mics crammed into a corner to record the podcast for probably about a good year, I think. And so. There was yeah. always that leaf blower outside going like, like oh, whenever yeah. we hit record. Oh, it always happened. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I feel like we have come a long way. So it's very nice to be joining you guys from a proper studio setup. And, you know, talking of how far we've come, our website has had a bit of a glow up, hasn't it? That's one thing that's happened since we've been off air. Um, we've got signed copies of our book now available on the website for purchase. We've got a griefy bundle where you can buy our cards and our book. We've got a membership in the pipeline. We've got some merch on the way. So we've got quite a lot happening, um, which is very exciting, isn't it, Im? It is. And Sal, before we get stuck into this episode, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. What's been happening? I... Well, I had a couple of like months off, we both did, over the Christmas break, which was really nice. Um, Christmas itself was busy, busier than I thought it was going to be. Um, and it was not as griefy as Christmases of yesteryear. Um, but I did find myself on Christmas Day, towards the end of the day, like having a griefy weep. Because I also felt guilty that I hadn't really thought about my mum much that day and then it hit me at the end of the day and I was really feeling really missing her but then also there was some guilt that I hadn't really like hadn't been as griefy as I had in previous years so yeah it was a little bit of a different one um but I still did lots of things to honor her we had Miss Piggy up on the tree Mm -hmm. lots of food that she would have enjoyed at Christmas and little things like that 
and I had a really good friend of mine, Flo, came out from the UK to visit me. So we had a little road trip together in the new year and that was really lovely to have a little bit of home. Um, But I'm doing all right. Yeah, I'm doing all right. Peaks and troughs, I think, but definitely, you know, less grief bombs than um, Christmases gone gone by. And Im, we're releasing this episode one week after your mum's fourth anniversary. So how are you? How, how did you get through it? Because it was her fourth, the fourth year, right? Yes, fourth anniversary. Uh, I did a lot of emotional eating. That got me through it. I just felt like I was eating everything and anything and not feeling guilty about it. I actually discovered a word. I don't know if you've heard of this, but it's so it's a German word and it's Kummerspeck and it means like emotional overeating. Okay. But what makes this word even better is the translation into English is grief bacon. <laughs> <laughs> So I did a lot of grief bacon, which was, yeah, emotional emotional eating. I love oh, that. I, I love thought that. it was hilarious. Perfect, perfect description. I think there's probably quite a lot of grief bacon happening for our yeah. listeners as well. Defo, yeah. I can relate to that. Sorry, Peggy's barking in the background if you can hear some, some barking. Um, and you've got a lovely new dress on today. Yeah, I so did a bit did... of retail therapy, but I'm just not sure about it. I was chatting to Sal off air. I'm like, do I look like a frumpy mum in this I don't know it's a fine line and I think it needs a belt anyway grief shopping is a thing though isn't it it really is oh it grief eating is. grief bacon grief shopping yeah. and I feel like when you're in the thick of those milestones you just got to roll with it right <laughs> yeah I did all the things but I'm I'm doing okay yeah thanks for asking good good and in many of our listeners will know that there are parts of your story that you haven't been able to speak about until now And I've been on this journey with you since we met. And I know that in the depths of your grief, you unearthed a devastating revelation that was really nothing short of unbelievable. I know that as you were coping with your grief and the death of your mum, you've also been going through something really significant behind the scenes and I know how difficult that's been for you and your family I never got to meet your mum which I'm really gutted about but I feel like I know her through you and I know that everyone who describes her describes her as someone who was a real empath and only saw the good in people which I think is really important isn't it to note as people listen to this conversation unfold yeah so before we get into it, Im, tell us, for old listeners, but also for new listeners, why are you sharing your story today? So regular listeners will know we've been doing this podcast for over three and a half years now, and I've only ever been able to share a very small snippet of my grief and my story and everything that kind of unfolded and happened after my mum died for various reasons. But there's been a lot going on behind the scenes um, that Sal has been there every step of the way with me and seen it all unfold. And I'm now in a position where I am able to talk about what happened. And I have chosen to do that because I think it's really important to shine a light on these issues 
and the topics that we're going to talk about today. I know we are predominantly a grief podcast and there is a lot of grief that we're going to be talking about and also getting into how I how I coped with this happening on top of losing my mum because it was very complex. So yeah, I just hope that this episode helps anyone who may be experiencing something similar because I've learned the hard way that these things don't discriminate. They can happen to absolutely anybody. And I also hope it helps give people who may be going through you know, catastrophic loss and traumatic things and feeling like they're not going to be able to get through it or survive. I really want them to hear this and know that you can get through hard things and it's not easy and you're not alone, but you can. And there is, you know, you can go on and live a meaningful life after devastating loss, which I think is really important for people to hear. Definitely. And I think to go back, we need to go back right to the start. So can you give us an outline of what happened? So to start, I do really need to give you guys some facts. So I'm going to rattle through some facts in a chronological order to set up what happened and it'll later make sense as to why. So my mum divorced my biological dad when I was really young and then my mum remarried my stepdad in 1991. And then in 1997, both of my mum's parents died within a year of each other. So as a result, my mum started doing therapy So I'm going to give you a little bit of background context as to why this is important. So my grandparents were divorced and the reason for their divorce was that my grandpa, John, was gay. So the context of this is important because back in 1957, when my mum was born, being homosexual was illegal and practically unheard of as well. So my grandma married him having no idea that he was gay or that gay people even existed And back then, my mum's parents, they were a very well-known business couple in Sydney in the 50s and 60s. My mum had a very glamorous childhood. So because of her upbringing, she started doing therapy. So the divorce of her parents was very acrimonious. And because her father was gay, my mum had a lot of questions around her sexuality as well. And she did throughout her whole life. I didn't really know about it until I was older, but she always questioned her sexuality. And so she started doing therapy a couple of years, for a couple of years, and then the therapy ends. So during that time that she was getting therapy, she actually became friends with her psychologist. So her psychologist had said to my mum that in order for them to be friends, she had to go away and do supervision right? So that she could, there's regulations around what you need to do. So she told my mum that she went and got supervision. And then around two years later, they reconnected. So in that time, on September 11 in 2001, her psychologist's husband and two daughters died in a car accident. And around six months after that date, I remember I was, I was super young. I think I was around 14 at the time. I came home with my stepdad and I remember my mum. she was like screaming on the floor. She had just gotten the phone call from her psychologist telling her what had happened. Her, her husband and her two daughters had died in a car accident. Like it was devastating. And she told my mum she'd been over in New York scattering their ashes. And yeah, it was obviously really devastating. But at the same time, I didn't really know who this woman was and 
I was wondering why my mum was so emotionally impacted by this. I totally understand this is devastating circumstances, but I was young back then and I didn't know who this person was. So it was all a little bit confusing for me at the time. And so as a result of this, of her psychologist losing her whole family, she had told my mum that she was suicidal. So my mum started going over to her house and staying at her house on suicide watch for, I'd say, about two or three days a week. She was there. And then from that, from mum going over there and doing suicide watch, they developed an intimate relationship that broke up my mum and my stepdad's happy marriage. So basically, my mum's psychologist said to her that she wouldn't survive without her and that my mum had saved her life, essentially. Um, Yeah, so it was a pretty intense time. And so even after all of that happening, my mum and my stepdad remained very good friends and we as a family, we embraced their relationship. We supported her through her partner's trauma and grief for at least the next 17 years. And then in 2018, when gay marriage laws changed, my mum and her partner got married and then around December 2019 the following year they started to break up and then on February 22nd 2020 my mum took her own life so unfortunately everything that I've just told you about my mum's partner I found out is a complete lie So she was never married, no one died, there was no car crash, she never had a husband or children and shortly after my mum died we discovered that it was all a deliberate fabrication intended to groom her into a relationship when she was her psychologist. I mean, what the fuck? Um, Yeah. Just... There's no other words, right? (laughs) No, and just just like... unbelievable deceit on a huge level not only are you then trying to cope with the death of your mum losing your mum to suicide was devastating but then this as well I just I mean I've got so much admiration for you for for everything you've been through because I know how shocking this has been for you Like, how and when did you find out all of this? Did you have any suspicions? So I guess everything just really, like, it unraveled very quickly. So there was a moment when we had, you know, that first moment of suspicions that things weren't adding up, and that was in December 2019. And then my mum died in February. So it was so quick. All of this happened so fast. But the moment that we pieced it all together... Like the moment that we realized, okay, this nothing is true. The family never existed. There was never a car accident. Like all of that, I guess, fell into place maybe a month after mum died. So all up, it was three months from that first suspicion to holy fuck, who is this person? Nothing they've told us is true. I mean, that must have just been like a great unravelling because this yeah. person was your stepmom as well. You know, her and your mum lived together for, was it 20 years? Yeah, nearly yeah, 20 they years. Were, they were together for a long years. time, right? So this yeah. person played a pivotal role in your in your life. 
and then to have all of these things come to the surface so talk us through like the very first thing that kind of raised an eyebrow or that you felt like "Mm, this is a bit weird this doesn't feel right that kind of set things off so it was December 2019 and we were going over to my mum's house. It was Christmas time and my sister got there before me and she called me and I was on my way and she said, I've just got to mum's, something's not right. I found a note on the table um, that mum had written saying that this woman was leaving me. Help yourselves, I'll be back soon. And that was so weird, so out of character. Like you have to know these two were inseparable, like glued at the hip they lived in their own little bubble like the thought of them breaking up was just unimaginable and so I remember having a sinking feeling in my gut like what is going on I was I was worried and so we got there mum still wasn't there when I arrived and then she eventually came home maybe an hour later and she just looked like she hadn't slept she told us that she was really worried about her partner she was driving around looking for her and I was really concerned for her I was so worried for them because you know, I couldn't imagine her life without her partner. I couldn't imagine that for her. So I was really worried about her. Mm-hmm. So that was the first event that happened that was unusual. And then sometime after that, my mum's partner was posting unusual activity on Facebook at all hours of the morning, like three, four o'clock in the morning, and then deleting it a couple of days or so afterwards. So there was a particular post. So she posted an old modeling photo and it was a photo of her and her best friend modeling in Vogue in the eighties. I don't know why I did this, but I started to screenshot all of her Facebook posts. I think maybe because she was deleting them and I thought it was a bit strange and considering all the breakup stuff that was going on, I don't know what it was, but I started screenshotting. And um, so yeah, she told my mum that she was a model when she grew up And my mum was also a model when she grew up. So the similarity is important to note as well as I go along. And so there was one evening I went to my best friend's house and I was talking to her about the recent issues that they were having and the unusual Facebook activity. And we talked about that modelling photo. And I just remember my friend saying to me, Im, like, I don't think that's her in the photo. And my stomach dropped and I didn't know what to make of it. And at the time, her sister-in-law was there and she knew about a search engine. So there's a thing called Google reverse image search where you can put any image from the internet and it'll take you to the source, like where the photo has come from. So we did that. And this was the very first time alarm bells started to ring um, because it turned out it was a photo of Elle McPherson. So, yeah. That was the first time that we knew things weren't as they seemed, but like I had absolutely no idea how deep this could go at that time. And I think it's important to talk about the the photo because it was Elle McPherson, but she had her back to the camera, right? Yeah. So you could only see her a very slight side profile. But yeah, and it was grainy, and it was an old image. It looked like it was like a you know photocopied old magazine clipping or something. It was hard to really tell. So she's posting all of these random things on Facebook at random hours, and now you find out that one of them is a Vogue modeling shot from the eighties of Elle McPherson. Like, what do you do with that information? I sat on it for about a week, which. Like in hindsight, I'm like, that was a very odd thing to do. 
but I didn't really know what to do. And I remember my stepdad came over to my house one day and I spoke to him about it. And he his response was she's probably just traumatised and a bit confused because, again, she'd been through this such a traumatic event in her life. We just thought maybe she's just doing some odd behaviour because of her trauma. And that was something that throughout your life growing up with this woman, it was always something that was kind of used to allow or dismiss behaviour, wasn't it? The trauma that she'd been through. And I think that's a part of the the story and the fabrication that meant that some things maybe that you might have spotted or thought were strange, you kind of let slip, right? Because there was this huge amount of trauma of her losing her family. Absolutely. So my stepdad would always say to my sister and I, like, treat her with kid gloves, you know, just be kind and be gentle to her. She's been through a lot. So we did. No people listening are going to be thinking, there's just no way that I would have not questioned this and that, but there wasn't. And, like, there was a lot of us a part of this and not one single one of us questioned. And that is how, you know, clever this story was put together and sustained for a long period of time. She had created the perfect lie. She made herself untouchable because, you know, any shadow of a doubt that anyone ever had or any odd behaviour. And believe me, there was odd behaviour over the years. There was questionable behaviour, but it was always put down to this woman's traumatised. She's lost her entire family. She's grief-stricken. So, yeah, there was one day that I was meant to go over to see my mum and we were meant to go for a walk together. But she rang me that morning and said she wasn't feeling up for a walk, so could I come over instead? But I knew her partner was going to be there. And I really needed to talk to her in person about this photo of Elle McPherson that she was claiming to be her. And um, I said to her, look, there's something I need to talk to you about privately. Like, can we go somewhere? And my mum's a warrior like me. She started to panic and she was like, please, can you just tell me what it is? And this is one major regret I have um, is that I ended up telling her over the phone And I wish that I hadn't, but I can't go, obviously, into the should'ves, could'ves, would'ves. But, yeah, I I feel like I didn't play that right. But what what are you to do? How are you to know? You know, I didn't know what we were dealing with, and I could never imagine what we were dealing with. So what ended up happening was she got off the phone straight away, and she obviously went to her partner and questioned it. And from that point, I was completely cut off. So her partner blocked me on Facebook, blocked my phone number. She threatened to my mum that if I came around to the house, she would leave. Her partner started saying that my sister and I were violent and we triggered her trauma. And that's one of the reasons why she didn't want us to come to the house. But obviously I knew it was because I'd questioned, you know, this photo of her for the first time. Um, But yeah, so it was from that point that my mum then started to become incredibly isolated. So was your mum seeing friends or having any interactions or was it just you and your sister at this point that she was distancing herself from? She wasn't doing her usual activities. She wasn't. She shut She shut down and mm-hmm. I don't think she knew what she was dealing with. Um, but, yeah, I, it, was, it was really tough and I don't mm-hmm. think she let really anybody in at that time. 
And that would have been really difficult for you because not only are you starting to think, hang on a minute, something's really not right here. This woman, something is off. Like, she's clearly lying. But then you can't even see your mum to be able to comfort your mum but also try and help your mum. That would have been really difficult. And, and what else did you find after that first lie was uncovered? What else unfolded? Yeah, it was really difficult, Sal. Like, I had a seven-month-old baby at the time like I was a new mum I was in the trenches of motherhood like I didn't know what I was doing I was a nervous anxious new mum and I needed my mum and regular listeners will know like how much I did depend on her and how close we were and also my sister had a three-month-old baby at the time and also a second child who was probably about three years old at that time too and it was an awful awful time for all of us and yeah so what else did I what else did I find out after I uncovered that first lie um I would start I think I started to trawl through all her old Facebook posts there was another old grainy black and white photo of her mum that she'd posted all the way back in 2016 right this has been going back a long time Mm -hmm. so she told us that her dad was a fashion photographer and that her mum was a model And then the caption of this photo that she posted said, this is one of my dad's photos of mum that you were wanting me to find. So obviously my mum was, you know, asking questions about her past and her life and and had asked her, you know, can I see some of these old modelling shots of your mum and the photographs that your dad had taken? So she'd obviously, you know, found this image, posted it, and then we put this one through Google reverse image search. And at this point I felt really silly that we didn't like pick up on these things all the way back in 2016 because it was an old photo of Bridget Bardo. Wow. And yeah. And like in, this is the thing that's really important to talk about because in hindsight, it's so obvious and it's there, but when you're in it, you cannot see it. And she was very clever with how she presented these images. They were, profile shots they were old photos they weren't like glaringly obvious unless we were to have put that through google reverse image search back then which obviously we weren't going to do because why would you question those things um so there was that photo of her mum saying it was bridget butto when it yeah saying it was her mum when it was actually bridget butto and then there was another photo that i found that she had recently posted probably around the time that they were breaking up and it was a photo of Michael Hutchins and she had actually claimed to have been in a relationship with him at some point um she grew up in she was bo- said she was born in France but she grew up in the eastern suburbs she lived this lovish lifestyle all this all this stuff and so this photo of Michael Hutchins she said her dad took this photo of him in their double bay backyard which is in the eastern suburbs of Sydney and I, again, put that image through Google reverse image search. At this point, I'm like, where where's this come from? Because I know this is not legit. And she'd taken the photo from Pinterest. It was just like a black and white Pinterest photo. <laughs> and, like, there are other things that she said that um, I know um, you've told me about, like the fact that she... She went to Michael Hutchkin's um, funeral. There's um, so many things. Yeah. Like that, that um, her her mum was really good friends with Jackie Onassis and like lived in the same building as her in New mm-hmm. York and all of these things. Like, did you guys ever think well, that's quite 
a lot like that's you know like where's the evidence of this or like no. this is you know like to be friends with Jackie Onassis like you know what I mean that's like quite massive like did you ever kind of think oh I'd love to see a bit more of this or like how we didn't question it and again like mm. I don't know when you're in it like it's just it's it's hard to imagine why you wouldn't but yeah it's it in hindsight, Sal, I promise you, we're all like, how did we not? How did we not? But this is important to talk about these sorts of situations because when you're in it, you're, you're deep in it. And she fooled all of us, all of my mum's mm. friends, you know, my whole family. Everyone was a part of this story. Everyone was on this ride and not a single person questioned anything along the way. And these are my mum's friends are intelligent people. You know, this is this is why, like these sorts of things don't discriminate like they can happen to anyone yeah um yeah it's i mean it's wild but that just the 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 length of deception that she went that the the picture that she was painting and this is um, and this is just i'm just giving you probably 60 percent of it like there mm-hmm. is so much more that i could go into but we will literally be here all day but and it also, I feel like the more that I would tell you, the more people would listen and be like, oh, there's no way that I wouldn't have questioned that. But it's, yeah. I think you can't judge until you're in that situation, you know, yeah. because like you say, you just, there was a many people that, that were involved in this who believed her and who didn't cotton on or think that anything was strange. So, you know, it's one of those things, I think, that it, mm. it often happens. So... Mm. So you started to realise that these photos that she was posting weren't her photos, that they were taken from Pinterest and from the yeah. internet. And then, so then what else happened? Like, what else did you uncover? Um, it just kept going from bad to worse, really. And the more I uncovered, the more isolated my mum got as well. And again, this is where in my own grief journey, I felt so much guilt because I was pressing my mum. I, I kept like bringing up every time I'd uncover a new lie. I'd be like, mum, like, what are you doing? You need to get out of this house. We don't know who this person is. And I started to be get, like feel really like angry and scared. And she, I just don't think my mum could face what was, you know, what I was uncovering. And then I feel so guilty that maybe I did too much to try and get her out. But these are all things that I've worked through in my grief. And I know I've come to a place of, we were in a situation that wasn't normal. So an abnormal reaction in an abnormal situation is normal. So it's taken me a long time to, to come to peace with that. But yeah, for a long time, I did feel um, very guilty for, you know, getting angry at my mum sometimes and, and pressing. And, and I wish that I'd gone a little more gently and softly. But again, you don't know what how you're going to react in these situations. I was freaking out. Of course, um, of course. Yeah. That's only natural, isn't it? You know, your mum's things are starting to unravel yeah. for your mum, and she's probably starting to come to terms with the fact that there's a lot of deception happening, and that the person that she has been with for twenty years isn't who she thought she was with, right? So yeah. it's only natural that you would feel angry and confused, and that also you want to get to her, but you can't. Like there's yeah. that like isolation and that separation that would have been incredibly difficult yeah we couldn't get to her and so we went we obviously we were starting to have serious concerns about who this person is that she's married 
So, yeah, I remember one day we couldn't get a hold of her, so we turned up at her house unannounced, and my mum looked like a zombie, like she hadn't slept for days or however long. Like, I was so terrified. We had our, you know, my sister had her baby and her toddler there, and I had my baby there, and, like, I was still breastfeeding at time, and I was literally, like, begging my mum to leave with us, and she just couldn't, and it was such a frightening situation I didn't know what we were dealing with Sal like I didn't know what was happening Mm. or what to do or who to turn to and it's almost like she wasn't there anymore like she wasn't my mum as I knew her at that point and I, I felt like just the essence of her had gone and it was really scary and she just said she couldn't go and we obviously eventually had to leave and I just remember turning to my sister when we were leaving and I said like I honestly feel like something sinister is happening here and she said me too and I I remember saying to her like I'm worried that something's going to happen to her mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. yeah and I imagine that you would have felt helpless as well like you wanted to help her you wanted to get her out of the house I know you were in the <sighs> middle of of getting a bigger property to rent so that your mum could live with you, right? You were trying to help her and get her out of the situation, but mm. you couldn't. And so I imagine that would have felt like things were slipping, but you don't I know what spiraling. to do. Yeah, I was spiralling. Like, and was, it's scary. It was scary. And I think for me, I, anger has always been an emotion that I've had to manage. And I was, I felt really angry. I felt really angry at her partner and I felt really angry at her for not listening. And I remember there were times where I was like, are we not worth enough? Like, why are you, you know, staying with this person who's obviously lied to you about all these things? And, but, you know, she was in an awful situation, you know, and I just, it was just, it was unimaginable circumstances. So, yeah, but there was a lot of emotions going on for sure. And did you ever worry that she might take her own life? Absolutely not. And I've said this so many times, like it was completely out of character for her. She was an advocate for youth suicide prevention. She'd never experienced any previous mental health issues. Like it never once crossed my mind. And so not only is she worried about her partner and exhausted and not sleeping but it sounds like she was also piecing things together maybe I will never know fully what she knew and again that's things I've tried to imagine after she died I was like how much did she know in the end I will never know the answer to that but obviously there were those few Facebook posts that I've uncovered that she knew about and then my mum's best friend actually went and saw her in the week before that she she died and she was talking to her about everything that we'd uncovered so far and my mum said to her, is the person that I thought existed and loved not real? Mm. So, yeah, I think she was starting to piece things together. I don't know how much she knew, but, yeah, I, I definitely think she was. I mean, how devastating and just heartbreaking that realization that the person that you're married to that you've been with for 20 years that things that they've told you they aren't who you think they are like that were that's on another level isn't it for your mum to try and comprehend as well as 
the fractious relationships that are happening between her partner and you and your sister and you know everything that's kind of going on in the same same time period and I know this is going to be really hard for you to go back to him but can you tell us about the day of your mum's death and then what happened in the weeks that followed so as we've mentioned previously I was in the middle of moving house but the reason why I was moving house was because I wanted to upsize so that my mum could have somewhere to live so at the time all this was going on she didn't have any access to finances and I was really worried about her and I just wanted her to have somewhere safe that she could come to so the wheels were in motion for her to leave and move in with me and my partner and my daughter so my mum died the day before she was due to move in with me unfortunately the police ruled it a straight suicide even though I'd presented them with all these suspicions, which was really frustrating because I had so many unanswered questions. Obviously, why was my mum where she was when she died? How did this How did this end up happening? And the police couldn't really give me any answers, so uh, I still wanted her death to be looked into. Um, but we were denied a coronial inquest as her partner was now her senior next of kin because they got married and she requested that she didn't want one. So they go with whatever the senior next of kin says. So we didn't get it. We were denied an inquest. Um, And can you tell us a little bit about what that inquest would have meant for those of us who aren't familiar with the justice system or don't know kind of what exactly an inquest entails? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so a coronial inquest looks into how someone has died. They look into, well, what were the events leading up to it? How has something like this happened? And then the coronial inquest will then go on to make recommendations to try and stop this from happening in the future. So I presented all these suspicions to the coroner. We had like maybe 15 submissions from family and friends all saying the same thing, like screaming at the coroner saying, this is suspicious, this woman wouldn't have taken her own life, like something has seriously gone wrong here and unfortunately they dispensed our request for an inquest which has been really frustrating I'll be honest um I was just I was so angry I was just fueled with absolute rage and I just went on this rampage of like I need to find out who this woman is and I left absolutely no stones unturned at this point this Um, is you in your instrumental grief era (laughs) I think (laughs) fully embracing my instrumental grief at this point yeah which obviously I haven't been able to talk about I haven't told any of this so I've talked about the days where I'm lying on the floor like howling for my mum but during the evening I was up till three o'clock in the morning I was like one of those crazy people in the movies right you know when they've they're trying to investigate and they've got like the pin board and all the photos and the the markers and like pacing back and forth pacing back and forth like that was literally me for quite some time smoking ciggies I did start smoking ciggies again yep (laughs) I mean fair enough mate fair enough yeah all those things um but yeah I was just like I'd be up till three o'clock in the morning like put my baby to bed and then I would just investigate her trying to piece all the pieces of the puzzle together to get an answer because I needed I needed answers or I couldn't move forward with my life like I needed to know what happened who she was how this ended up happening to my mum so what were the other things that came to light um so I had a light bulb moment 
one night in these investigations that I remembered that I used to work with their wedding celebrant. So it dawned on me that back in 2018 when they got married, the woman that did their wedding was someone who I knew. And I had completely forgotten this information. And again, this is a moment of like a red flag going off. But back then, I had told the celebrant her partner's backstory. I said, look, her husband and her kids have died in a car accident. Please be really sensitive, you know, with them. And she was, she was great. She was amazing. And then around that time, she came up to me at work and she said, um, I just wanted to flag something with you. When we were doing the paperwork, your mum's partner put down on the form that she had never been validly married and that she didn't have any biological children living or deceased. So she was basically just flagging this because just in case there's an issue with the paperwork, they need to put the right thing on there. And I didn't think anything of it. And I said, I mentioned it to my mum. And then that night I received a text message from her partner. And the text message said, I thought I should let you know that when I was asked today if I had children, as we were filling in a form, I said I didn't as I just couldn't handle it. Love you always. So there's a very big red flag right there. But again, I didn't think anything of it because why would anyone lie about having children that died in a car accident, right? And it's back to that piece of the the setup of her story and the the accident and losing her family became a mask for or an excuse for uh, for things like this, right? And you, you would just lie. go, yeah. Oh, yeah, well, it's because sure. of this. Of course, you couldn't. Of course, you couldn't put it on the form. I, I wouldn't have been able to as well. I would have been triggered and traumatized and all the things. So fair enough, brushed it off. But I remembered all these years later. Holy shit. And I contacted the celebrant and I said, look, I need their marriage certificate. Can you send it to me? And then that covered, uncovered even more lies. And her parents' names were on the form were different to what she told us that they were. She'd obviously told us she was born in France as well, but on the form it said her birthplace was in you know, New South Wales in Australia. Um, she told us her parents were French and Italian, but both were born in Australia. In Australia. And... Yeah, the terrifying thing was just all these little things were just mirroring my mum's life. Like there were just so many similarities. Mm. It was bizarre. Yeah, so on that, when she sent me the form, obviously on the form I could see, yeah, she had put down, never been married, had zero children living or deceased. So, I mean, at this point I'm terrified. I just knew we weren't dealing with a normal person. Mm, I mean, just... That would have just been so, like, so frightening. Yeah. So how did you get all of this information clarified and confirmed? Did you get, have you had it confirmed? Or is it just from your own investigating? Well, that was the next step. We we had all of this, you know, all of these suspicions. Like, I don't think this person is who they say they are at all. I'm starting to really doubt that these kids ever even existed or that she was ever married and so my mum's best friend um, hired a private investigator and they were able to confirm for us that everything was a lie. And so we had it on a piece of paper for the first time. It wasn't just all in our heads. So at this point, everything just went from bad to worse, even though you wonder how much worse could it get at this point. Um, so... Remember how she said that she had been married twice 
Mm-hmm. So the same as my mum, she had been married twice and then had two daughters to the second husband. So she had told us that the first husband, she'd fallen out of contact with him after his daughters died in the car accident and she had thought that he might have taken his own life after they were killed. Mm-hmm. And so then there was a particular Facebook post. So she posted this shortly before mum died, right? And it was a post dedicated to her second husband and her daughters who died in the car accident. So on the post, it was she had a black and white photo. It was like a headshot of a man that she was claiming to be him. So the second husband, the one that died in the car accident. And we remembered about this particular post and my friend ran it through Google reverse image search again. Thank God for Google reverse image search <laughs> is all I can say. And my detective friends. Yeah. Uh, we had a little, like a little team of us who were just, yeah, investigating behind the scenes because the police weren't helping. So we had to do it ourselves. And, um, yeah, she found him and he was alive. Wow. He wasn't dead. Who was he? So she sent me, I think she found, I think the photo was taken from his work. Like it was like a work headshot from his work website. And then I found, I was able to contact him through LinkedIn and I sent him a photo of this woman. And I said, look, this is going to sound really strange, but do you know who this woman is? And he responded pretty quickly. And he said to me, look, I'm pretty sure that that woman was my psychologist in the late 1990s. Yeah, right. So he was another one of her clients from the same clinic my mum went to see her at and he had never been in a relationship with her. So she has stolen his identity and created an entire alternate reality with it and she has then stuck to that fabricated story for nearly two decades. Wow. Just one thing after the other, right? And this yeah. web of lies and deception is really coming to like the surface of the the magnitude of deceit, right? So now that we've got the full picture, I want to take things back a little bit to your mum's relationship with this woman. So they got together in 2003, right? They got yeah. married in October 2018. And in December 2019, they were breaking up. So what do you think the reason for the breakup was? Was it the fact that you'd uncovered these lies or you'd started to kind of figure out that something was wrong or was was there other things involved? So I later figured out that issues had been going on in their relationship for quite some time. I just knew nothing about it at all. Um, So what was... I guess what was leading to their breakup was my mum's partner started seeing another client of hers, so another woman. And so for this, you have to understand that this woman was a recluse, right? She had no friends outside of mum and hers relationship. So her having a friend was very unusual. I didn't really know much of this was going on. Mum didn't really talk to us about it. I think she was just trying to keep it under wraps till she figured out what was happening um also around this time as i mentioned before 
me and my sister started having families of our own. So grandkids were coming into the picture. So her partner had said to my mum that she didn't want to be around the grandkids because she was finding it too painful for her and that it was like resurfacing all her trauma and grief of losing her daughters, which mind you did not exist. So she was using our children as an excuse or a reason to pull away from my mum. So what did you do with all the information that you had? Like, where do you go from there? Like, what do you do? Well, believe it or not, and it's, you know, it may, if people are in other countries listening to this where they do have good laws against things like coercive control, um, at that time in New South Wales, where we live, lying about your past was not a crime. So coercive control, which we've just talked about, was not a criminal offence either at that time. So we really couldn't do anything in the eyes of the law, which I found really hard to come to terms with. Um, but then shortly after mum died, I found out about there was actually a, parliament, a New South Wales parliamentary inquiry happening into coercive control. And I submitted our story into the parliamentary inquiry, just hoping that, you know, sharing our story can help change the laws in some form. I was just on a fight to, like, make something of this. So it was really important for me, you know, to use this for good, to make change. So we actually ended up being um, one out of about 156 submissions that were published as part of the inquiry. And since then, the laws have actually changed. So as of July this year, coercive control will be a criminal offence in New South Wales, which was huge. And being part of that was really important for mm. for me and my grief um, to kind of make some meaning from it. And for anyone listening who hasn't come across the term coercive control, can you tell us a little bit about it and what some of the signs are? Yeah, so coercive control can be sort of behaviours that make people feel scared or hurts them or isolates people. Um, it can be humiliating your partner, harassing them, sometimes monitoring monitoring their whereabouts or what clothes that they can wear, just basically like taking away somebody's freedom or controlling their day-to-day activities. So it can also include like physical violence, but it doesn't have to. And that's important because I think there's a misconception about domestic family and domestic violence that it's just, you know, the old posters of domestic violence was a woman with a black eye, but it can be a lot more subtle than that. And it doesn't have to be physical. Like it can be emotional and psychological. Also at this time that all of this was happening, my mum's partner was actually still working as a practicing psychologist So I knew she had to be stopped. Um, So about five months after mum died, I put in a complaint through the Healthcare Complaints Commission. So they're called the HCCC, which is a body in New South Wales that governs health practitioners. So it's important to note here that if she was a non-professional person, we wouldn't have been able to do absolutely anything and I would never be able to even share my story so yeah that to me is wild to think about like how many other people are out there experiencing something but they didn't get anywhere because they you know the mm-hmm. person who did this wasn't a professional or whatever like it that was frightening for me um so i went to the hccc 
Then they ended up launching their own three-year investigation. And then in April in 2023, it went to hearing, which was huge. So only about 1% of um, complaints that go through the HCCC end up getting a hearing. Mm, and I remember I, I have been on that journey with you from we met six months after your mum died and so you were in the throes of pulling all of the HCCC complaint together and I remember sort of every couple of months there'd be an update and waiting for the hearing date and I I came to the hearing date with you last year and Mm. it was really difficult to um to bear witness to because it was reliving it all for, for all of you so it was you your partner your stepdad your mum's best friend your mum's cousin and I remember there was a moment where your stepdad got up to give evidence and it was it was really devastating he was talking about how he suspected that your mum was aware of the lies and this is why she'd taken her own life and I remember he broke down and you, your stepdad's quite a stoic person Mm-hmm. So to see him break down, then you all broke down. And it was just really painful to to watch. And I really, really felt for you all in that moment of the pain and the sadness. Because ultimately, beyond this deception and beyond what this woman has done, your mum is no longer here and your mum took her own life. And I felt that that really is like the pain and the hurt that that's what it came to. That's really what this is all about. And in that moment, I really felt that. Yeah, you're so right. And I think as well, like, you know, throughout all this investigating and all of the things uncovered, like I was always filled with so much rage, like anger actually helped me get through it. And then any time it got to a point where we looked underneath all of that, what was going on and the fact that she was dead, that is always what broke me. I couldn't look at that. I couldn't, Mm -hmm. I just couldn't. It took me so long to, you know, look at her things or just think about what we'd lost was too hard so I think in a sense like I threw myself into this as a distraction from that pain and Mm -hmm. this was the day where it all came crashing down and went fuck we've we've lost someone so special and so important for what like what what was the point of all of this Mm -hmm. and yeah it was a hard day it really was and I'm really proud of you for sticking it out and seeing it through and confronting it again that time because I know that that was a really big a big milestone that was looming over you for a very long time and yeah. um, and what was the outcome of the hearing in the end um so she didn't turn up to the hearing at all Um, But it ended up going along regardless. And so they found that she had engaged in misconduct and her registration was cancelled for five years, which is the maximum penalty. And a forensic psychiatrist and psychologist told the tribunal that her lies were intended to groom my mum into a relationship when she was her psychologist. They also said that she lacked remorse, care... And empathy, and that her conduct was incredibly manipulative and premeditated. How did you feel when the verdict was delivered? Like hearing this about somebody that you considered a step parent? Um, very mixed. So uh, we felt 
for the first time, like, heard and validated. And on the other side of the coin, we felt completely betrayed. Like, mm-hmm. it was such a harrowing revelation, like you said, my stepmom, someone that had been in my life since I was, like, 16 years old. Like, we went overseas together. She was at the birth of my daughter. Like, we told each other we loved each other. Like, to have gone from that to be sitting in this cold courtroom hearing all of these things about someone who we thought we knew, um, it honestly felt like I was in a movie. Like, I Mm -hmm. felt out of body. Like, I was in some scene of some movie you know, that I would be watching on Netflix or something, you know, just didn't feel real. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think as well, we never actually wanted this to be the reality, even though we did want answers and we did want to be heard. I think we were always hoping in the back of our minds that maybe we've got it wrong somewhere along the way, or it's all some huge misunderstanding. And, you know, I think we, we, we really didn't want, this was the worst outcome essentially mm-hmm. and it was just also terrifying to just hear that that this person that we cared about that was such a big part of our lives had done this to my mum and for so you, long had you ever heard from her after your mum died like have you got any contact with her like what nothing absolutely no contact I never attempted to make contact because everything that I've learnt you know in the the research that I've done is that it is the best possible thing for me is to never ever attempt to reach out to her because nothing good will come from that and there must be as well as the lies and the deceit like is there grief because that's another loss there's a loss of somebody that you thought was a step parent there's the loss of that relationship you know that's another loss that you're dealing with yeah Absolutely. Like it is another loss and with complex grief, like there's so many layers to it. I actually don't think I've ever been able to even come to terms with that or think about that. Like I haven't got there yet and Mm -hmm. I wouldn't even know how to unpack that. Like Mm -hmm. I can't at the moment. It's just the whole thing is so mind bending and I feel like I live in two worlds now. I feel like I live in a world where I don't, relate to anybody anymore like having something like this happen to you like you question everything you don't feel safe you just like I look back at photos and memories of my upbringing with my mum and she's in it and I question everything Mm. I'm like what was all of that was any of that even real and like I find that really hard because it's so connected to memories of my mum which I feel are fucking tainted because of all of this as well. You know, I have to go right, right back to before she even came into our into the picture to try and connect with those, like, wholesome memories. It's just, it's a very bizarre world I now live in and I don't know if I'll ever fully come to terms with it. I think sometimes I just have to lock it away in a box and put it on a shelf and mm-hmm. try and pretend like none of that happened it's very bizarre. So after the after the hearing, your your fight for justice, it didn't stop there, did it? Tell us what happened afterwards. Um, so after the hearing, obviously that the decision got handed down. She got struck off from practicing psychology, and then yeah, we we felt that we had a duty to let the public know because she's still out living her life. 
you know, reinventing herself or whatever she's doing. So we ended up going to a journalist, someone who had covered similar cases to this. So her name's Emily Baker. And um, we ended up telling our story on ABC's 7.30 report um, towards the end of last year. And that was a really hard time as well. You saw me. I was an absolute wreck Mm -hmm. because for the first time I was telling this story um, in a public domain. And reliving it reliving it again right because for a yeah. long time you'd kind of put it aside I remember yeah. there, there have been periods where you know you lodged the complaint and then it was probably about a year or so mm. before you heard anything really so it, it kind of when I first met you this was all you could talk about you were all consumed by it understandably yeah. um, and then as time went on it cut you became lighter and you kind of put it to one side but then around the time of the hearing and the abc 730 report it was all coming back and because you were telling it in a public domain it was very real wasn't it and there was almost like a fresh wave of grief for you as well mm, yeah what's next for you im like do you feel like you've got some justice good question sal um i think Victims will relate to this feeling of it never being enough. And when, you know, somebody hurts somebody you love, like, it will never feel like it's enough. So I'm still fighting for that coronial inquest that we never got. I really think that there should be one, and I think there could be some recommendations that need to be made from our case, for sure. Um, So, yeah, I am just keep fighting my mom and anyone else who has been in a similar situation and never felt heard or never felt like they got the justice that they deserved so I just want to say in mate like I've got so much admiration for you not only because of how you've worked your way through something that let's be honest would have floored a lot of people I don't know many people that would be able to take that those pieces of information and run with it and and do what you have done um but also the fact that you've built good morning with me that you've done good morning and helped other people in their grief and held that space for so many other people while all of this is unfolding and i think that's really massive like how did you do it the million dollar question (laughs) um i've had loads of love and support around me Um, You know, my sister's gone through this with me. My stepdad was super close. My partner's been really supportive. You know, there's been a little team of people that helped me, you know, get through this investigation and, and put all the pieces together. But Good Morning has certainly helped me in so many ways to do this and to survive this. Like, there is a darkness to my life which is all of this stuff that we've just spoken about today that's been in a box and then there is a lightness to it as well and that is good morning and what we've created from such darkness and such pain and trauma and sadness and that was always really important for me you know to I guess make some sort of meaning from my mum's death, like I never wanted it to be in vain. I never wanted her to die in vain. And I wanted to, yeah, make meaning from it so I could move forward. And I feel like Good Morning has helped me do that. This is why I say, we both say that our mums, you know, had a hand in us meeting 
was because I truly feel like my mum sent you to me to get through this and to start Good Morning. And I actually don't know. I honestly don't know where I would be. And I don't think I would have ever been able to get through this if I didn't. Um, So I think it probably has more context to it now because I have said that from the start. People might understand, you know, why, because of everything Mm -hmm. else that was going on. Um, And also I had a baby at the time who helped me survive because I had to get out of bed. I had to feed her. I never wanted her to go through anything that I was dealing with with my mum. And, um, yeah, I mean, I could keep going on and on about the things that helped me, but (laughs) they were the major things and, like, just not feeling alone. And the most important thing, I think, that really did get me through this was finding forgiveness. And this is where... You brought the amazing Dr. Edith Eager into my life. So I listened to an episode with Dr. Edith Eager, who is one of the few remaining Holocaust survivors. Yeah, she was telling her story about surviving Auschwitz when she was 16 years old and watching her parents get sent into a gas chamber. And it was the most unimaginable trauma. And she said in that podcast, look, if I can get through this, so can other people can get through hard things and I listened to that and it was just the right moment in my life and I was like oh my god I can do this and I need to find forgiveness and find love in my heart and try and replace all of that hatred and the anger that I was just feeling for so long and I learned how to do that and realized that forgiveness is a gift that I give myself it's got nothing to do with the other person it's a gift that you give to you to release those heavy emotions from your heart and that helped me move forward with my life and be able to make change and help others in their grief and do all the things that good morning has done so yeah a few things have helped me but um that's how i'm able to sit here today and tell this story and i hope if anyone's listening that can relate um i hope it's helped you feel a little less alone in your experience too um thank you so much for sharing this really deeply personal and vulnerable story with us all i know there may be some long-time listeners here listening right now there may be some new listeners um, but i think what we will all have in common is our respect for everything that you've been through and our gratitude for you for being so brave and sharing your story and you know i've always said on the pod that it's like you're a different person now to when I met you. When I met you, it was all dark and all-consuming, and I'm really proud of how far you've come in such a short space of time. And I think hopefully now regular listeners will really and truly understand what I mean. Um, And if anyone here is listening and experiencing domestic and family violence or they are supporting somebody that they think maybe we've listed lots of um, support services in the show notes thank you for being with us in this conversation everybody we know it was probably not an easy one to listen to but an important one next up on good morning we're going to be speaking with dr mary Frances o'connor who is the expert on the grieving brain which is a massive topic that so many of you have requested again after uh interview with dr lisa shulman so you're not going to want to miss this one and it's dropping next week so thank you for tuning in guys and we'll see you next time <laughs>